I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a podcast on everything from employment to aircraft carriers. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Number Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. I'm Yazad, an economist, and I'm Shambhavi, a cell biologist. Hi, and welcome to All Things Policy. Uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is holding its forum uh, starting today, which is the 25th of April. Um, and to discuss what the forum is about, this is their second meeting. Uh, to discuss what the forum is about and what the initiative is about, we have with us Suresh and uh, Manoj. So Manoj, can you just briefly tell us about uh, the forum? Okay, so this is, uh, so in 2017 was the first time, so let's sort of roll back. In 2013 is when Belt and Road was announced. Uh, Xi Jinping announced this during a visit to Kazakhstan and then subsequently to Indonesia, where he announced the maritime component of Belt and Road. Since then, there have been so many other components of Belt and Road that it's difficult to even keep track of uh, what it is. But uh, that's when it was. That's when it began. By 2017, the Chinese felt the need to sort of bring all of this together, uh, create one platform so that you can bring all these because as much as we would like to think of BRI as a centrally planned and implemented thing which is you know where pieces are being moved on the chessboard by leadership sitting in Beijing uh, it's a far more diffuse thing with different it's like any other political initiative where leaders and politicians at different levels within the system start to take charge things charge of things and they brand projects and deals with foreign uh, companies and countries as BRI BRI so the Chinese felt the need to bring everything together um, and they held this forum in 2017. It was also a diplomatic signal that this is a big foreign policy project of ours. Um, <clears throat> and therefore, they held the first Belt and Road Forum. Um, also most, known as? It was also known as, unfortunately, the acronym for that was BARF, um, which they realized and therefore they called it BRI Forum. Um, but uh, yeah, and this time is your second time that you're on BAF. And... Uh, uh, again, uh, in 2017, India was the first major country, which the sort of major country which said that we will not be attending this forum. No sort of even a low-level delegation from India did not attend this officially. Um, and India's issues, the MEA had put out a massive statement which spoke about CPEC and sovereignty, sustainable investment, um, respect for certain values and, you know, rules of financing and so on and so forth, um, which as an argument subsequently has had some traction because we've seen questions about debt, uh, you know, after Hamban Tota was leased for 99 years. Um, and this idea of neocolonialism, debt trap diplomacy, unsustainable Chinese loans, uh, violation of sovereignty of other countries and all that take hold. Um, <clears throat> this time also, India is not attending this forum. Um, I think it was made quite clear a couple of weeks ago when the new Indian ambassador to China, Vikram Misri, in an interview to Chinese media outlets said that, look, we have these issues and these issues remain and these are principled issues. And uh, he didn't expressly rule out that India would not go there, but it became clear from then on that this is not really going to happen, um, which is fine. Um, you know, the Chinese uh, in the first time around in 2017, they tried a lot to sort of woo India to attend that forum. Um, so much so that if you go and look back at the map that was put out uh, by the official websites in China, uh, actually was a map of India which India approves of, which New Delhi approves of. So there was no POK, 
there was no Aksai Chin in China. There was no Greater Tibet. It was all India. Um, but is it really fine though? Because I mean, if you're not at the table, you're at the menu, right? So yeah. So that's so that's the argument in some quarters in India. And in 2017, that was also my argument that you needed to be at the table. I still think that we should be at the table. Uh, you don't need to be at the table. Uh, I think the concern from an Indian point of view is that if we are going there, we are de facto endorsing, you know, CPEC and we are endorsing the other things. It might need not necessarily be the case because, uh, you know, there are countries which are not endorsing DRI, which are there. Um, in 2017, the Americans were there. It was a low-level delegation, but the Americans were there. Now, the significance of that for the Chinese is that it is a certain validation internationally. Um, and if, from an Indian diplomatic point of view, you feel that holding off that validation for some future gratification for ourselves um, is useful, then maybe. But I still think that it's important to actually be at the table and have the conversation. I significantly disagree with you on this point <laughs> because uh, this CPEC sovereignty, these are the prime issues which India faces. Apart from that, there are many other issues that the world, Western Europe, America talks about, which are concerns of India as well. There is transparency, there is rampant corruption, there is quality check which is majorly missing in this. Again, the sovereignty, geopolitical Im Im implications on how this foreign policy initiative will play out. Yeah. These are the issues which are very important from India's and world's point of view. So this is... Yeah, and I'm not... I see, I, that my point is not that any of these issues are unimportant. Mm -hmm. uh, my point is that these are extremely important issues. Mm -hmm. um, but the only way you're going to make the case to the person is mm -hmm. by actually talking to the person, is by not talking at the person from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I say, in 2017, when this forum happened and... The European countries attended this forum. Mm -hmm. They refused to sign that document that they were asked to sign because they said, "No, we don't endorse it, so we're not going to sign it." Um, it didn't stop BRI from growing. It didn't stop BRI from growing within Europe. Um, but you need to register your disagreement by talking to the person, as opposed to saying, "I'm so aggrieved that I'm going to sit out and I'm going to huff and puff." But again, if how and when do we talk to China? Because dealing with China, we go into history. History, horrors of history are always upon us. And we have seen Jawaharlal Nehru and Chaun Lai's incident that China deceives us while talking. Are we really prepared to talk to China? And are there solutions out of talking? I think, I think this argument of uh, deception, mm -hmm. I can see why it, why it is an argument which holds a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think uh, it is something that we need to rethink. Uh, in some way, deception implies a certain naivety on our account, on our account, where we were so naive that we got deceived, uh, uh, and a certain perfidy on the other person's account. But let's be real: both parties are in it for their interests. Unless you communicate, unless you understand what each person's interests are, um, you're never really going to get anywhere. Um, I think this. Therefore, you see, and I think therefore it was. It is useful to continue to talk even to your enemies, although I don't see the Chinese as an enemy. Um, but it is useful to talk to your adversaries also. Uh, and this process, this Wuhan process, since then this conversation, it is needed because uh, unless you're actually talking to each other, you don't understand each other's intentions better. But we can talk bilaterally. No? Why do we need to be a part of a forum? I'm saying that... Are we not legitimizing the claim? That is, I, so that's something. That is the argument from an Indian point of view. You can always go to the forum. You can lay your... If you're at the forum and you lay your issues at the forum saying, this is why we are not going to be signing this thing. What are you doing to address this? The Chinese are 
come coming to the world that this is not a china initiative this is a global initiative this is not an exclusionary club every country can participate and so on and so forth um it is useful if you actually go there and tell them okay we are here to talk sovereignty what are you going to do about it let them say no to you there be part of that conversation and you will realize that there are certain issues that can be actually addressed um and in whatever way you can um and i think that is to me that would be a far more that would be a mature way of dealing with it um it's a politically difficult way of dealing with it we are doing it bilaterally um uh, but i don't see the hesitation of going to this forum um uh, i see the argument i understand the argument at an intellectual level but i still think it better be at the table to have the conversation then be away but that's, that's my personal opinion that i uh, if i was in those shoes i'd probably say yes we should be at the table to have this conversation um because bri is going to go ahead irrespective of our opposition to it um and irrespective of anybody else's opposition to it because it's a fundamental i mean it's become a euphemism for chinese foreign policy um and it's so much more than just connectivity and yeah i was just going to ask you that because we often hear that there's backlash to to the initiative itself but has it actually had any significant impact so there has been backlash right i think the humban total lease issue is what sort of kick started this backlash um that i think it's a it was a terrible miscalculation or terrible handling from the chinese point of view um and they've paid for it severely and rightfully so um because it sort of set into motion this idea of oh this is your the chinese are now colonialists they are engaging in unequal treaties and they are taking away sovereign territory and, on, and so on and so forth um thereafter you've seen a number of countries nepal pakistan also malaysia who sort of held back on certain things and said well look these projects seem unsustainable and as governments have changed in these countries there have been questions that have come from an analyst point of view sitting outside this was fairly anticipated um because dealing with democracies is different than dealing with dictatorships as governments change some of these things will happen and as the chinese invest more in a certain countries they become electoral issues um so some of this was bound to happen the fact that it happened in a country like pakistan also um suggests the amount of unease that there can be with some of this yet to write off bri as though this backlash is eventually going to be the death of bri or there is going to be this nationalistic backlash which is going to stop chinese investments not really the case it's going to make things complicated the chinese will have to learn to adapt it's not going to be a smooth sort of ride for them um and that's something that i think they are learning to live with um so with malaysia when mahathir came to power last year he was quite public uh, when he, during his visit to beijing he sort of accused them of neo colonialism in front of premier lee kachang um and he did the grandstanding that was needed um yet they also need the investment so when mahathir is also asked that you know oh would you side with the us or the chinese in this hypothetical cold war that is being built up his answer is like i'd rather deal with the chinese than an unpredictable america which is you know many many miles away and who knows how much it is stay um, given that the americans walked out of the tpp and so on and so forth so there is a little bit of that that there is pushback um it's not blind acceptance of what the chinese are doing but the pushback is also circumscribed by your own circumstances um and therefore the malaysians have ended up renegotiating that east coast rail link project uh, down by about 30% of its actual value uh, approximately um but they went up renegotiating it they're going ahead with it while initially mahathir said that we are going to cancel this thing because we just don't have the money to pay um 
So some of the pushback is real, but BRI is here to stay um, because it is this infrastructure and this building of connectivity projects is sort of one part of it. I mean, if you look at the actual document, it talks about all sorts of things from facilitating trade, policy coordination, people-to-people -people ties, which include things like uh, education support, scholarships, uh, tourism, everything under the sun has become BRI. I also read an interesting fact of that BRI thing. Once the BRI came into picture, the number of scholarships given to the Pakistani students have increased significantly. So it was around 7,000 before BRI and now it has gone to 22 or 25,000 after BRI. So yes, partially, but also we should take Chinese initiative, not only state initiative, but a initiative by companies with a pinch of salt because uh, Chinese private companies are also lending uh, or giving loans at a interest rate which should be checked because that is also leading to a fact of debt trapped. Yeah. You know, so that, that's the big issue, right? Is that there is such such, such complete lack of transparency mm -hmm. and leading up to this current BRI forum, that is one of the hopes, right? You know, that by Sunday when all this ends, by Saturday, Sunday when all this ends, um, over the next three days, um, the promise, or at least reported promise, is that for the first time, we are going to have an official list of what are BRI projects. Um, and that would... A couple of months ago, I was in China where I was talking to... Government officials, NDRC people, and think tank groups, and one of the one of the conversations was this was an India-China conversation. The conversation was potential India-China cooperation on BRI, and I began by saying, look, BRI is sort of this. Um, the term holds certain problems for us, so you'd likely avoid it. And they were like, oh, we can change it. We can call it something completely different. But why don't we cooperate? What is the problem? Um, and I said, well, the problem is that we don't know what this means. We don't know what BRI means. Can you tell us what it means? One day it means connectivity projects. One day it means education. One day it means something in space. One day it means something in the Arctic. So what does it mean? Um, and they were like, well, that's a fair point. Uh, and I remember one of the panelists actually even turned around and told me that it's quite insulting that you're saying this to us, given that we really don't know what BRI means. <laughs> <laughs> so I think some of this clarity and transparency um, if the Chinese can provide it, which is uh, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, so, so ago, there was a report in Reuters and Bloomberg and all that reported that um, they are actually working on a list. So if they do some of this stuff, at least it becomes clearer, not just to the world outside, but also internally. Because internally, what's happening is that projects that were even launched in 2010, which is even before BRI was formally announced, are under BRI. Um, and that's because local politicians see the opportunity and local companies see the opportunity of easier financing through this. So something that was stuck in some part of Africa for a very long time, oh, now we can get cheaper financing, let's take it. Um, so like in India, we say that we like creating more departments to like hand precisely. out stuff. This is like putting everything together. and then Precisely. Like, yeah. precisely. And, that is, uh, and that's a problem domestically for them because there's also domestic backlash. Like uh, outside when we see BRI, we see it as these insidious loans which are which we don't know the interest rate of which are horribly high uh, which have very bad terms of payment um, although from whatever we know uh, at least in Africa a lot of these loans and their terms of payment uh, what's at least become public is not as bad as say anybody else um, say uh, you know in terms of tenure of payment the rate of interest might be higher but in the tenure of payment it's not 20 years and a lot of African countries last year got extensions of 10 more years. 
um, and that's the kind of flexibility the Chinese are learning that they will have to show because you can't keep annexing. I would I would rather say let us wait for the document official document no, with I projects agree. to come out. Let's I agree. Not I mean I'm confusion. not uh, I'm not even giving them the benefit of doubt on that. I am very suspect of the fact that a document would even come out which mm-hmm. lists everything um, because it's such a <clears throat> it's domestically quite a complicated endeavor to list something like this because think of it like this. I mean this was one of the uh, sort of. Uh, fears expressed by some of the Chinese people that I had met, uh, some of the think tankers and policy makers that I had met and their argument was that, look it's a concern for us, I am lending to X number of African countries, Latin American countries everybody keeps asking me for terms this, that and the other if I make all this public the problem is I will have to deal with these 10 other people saying oh you are giving them this and you are giving us this and this and that is my complication in doing that and I I to some degree understand that but it's a trap that they've put themselves in and they need to dig themselves out of because if they need the credibility they probably would need to do this Um, it would be far more useful to do this Um, but I can see the argument of why this is problematic for them because you don't want to end up then sitting with your with Ethiopia, Eritrea and Algeria and the other countries and saying okay look we will try and renegotiate this and we will try and renegotiate this Um, and it also creates the potential for some of these countries to bandy together and negotiate with China, uh, which the Chinese don't want at all. Um, uh, that you know, we don't want an Eastern African bloc negotiating with us when we can actually negotiate with individual countries, because mm-hmm. that then increases their negotiating power with us. I'll, I'll give you an example of transparency with China itself. When AIIB was formed, Asia Infrastructure and yeah. Investment Bank, initially the US, the United States was very wary of it. It opposed it in the initial stage. But as and when transparency came around, US supported it. No, the US is still not a part of the AIIB. No, but it has not overtly claimed it. So it was initially pitched as an alternative to uh, the existing regime, the Trinity regime of IMF, World Bank and uh, WTO. But US is not Opposedly varying to it as it was in the initial See, stages. I think, I, I, so I agree with you there on mm-hmm. the count that the AIIB is significantly different than BRI. Yes. Absolutely. The AIIB is multilateral. Yes. BRI is China owned, China run, China operated with this veneer of, oh, this is not China. Right. Okay. So that, uh, that, that difference does exist. Because the uh, in terms of what the, how the US reacted to the AIIB under Obama when it initially sort of said, oh, no, we're not going to be party to this. I think in America itself, within the administration, uh, within bureauc- within the American bureaucracy itself, there is a recognition that that was a flawed approach. Mm-hmm. Um, to see this as a challenger to the existing global system was problematic. I mean, the, even the existing global players, the ADB and mm-hmm. all were saying, look, it's not really a challenger. It's a complementing inst- uh, institution. I mean, Asia's infrastructure deficit is at $26 trillion. We need more money. And so the, the transparency willing, goes long way in... And if the Chinese yes. are willing to bind themselves to a multilateral organization, then what is your problem? Yes. Uh, so, uh, so I do agree with you in principle that there is a difference between BRI and AIIB. Mm-hmm. AIIB is multilateral, BRI is bilateral. BRI has a geopolitical component to it. Absolutely, there is no denying that. Um, my argument is that the Chinese need to do a lot more to make people around the world more comfortable about BRI. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not done nearly enough to do that. Um, yet it is something that is here to stay because it has essentially become a euphemism for Chinese foreign policy Um, so therefore we will have to deal with BRI Uh, whatever you may call it you have to end up dealing with it Um, as an Indian if I was in the policy maker shoe I can see the argument for not attending but I can also see the argument for attending and I probably lean towards the argument for attending the forum 
it's always better to be on the table mm-hmm. beyond that uh, in terms of success and failure of bri i think measuring it in terms of simple projects uh, that oh this project is succeeding therefore bri is a success or this project is being renegotiated is probably a flawed way of measuring it um today in the morning we were having this conversation where i was saying that um x number of countries now have chinese projects listed on their currencies um you know countries like kuwait and so and so it tells you that there is a psychological change that's happening uh, with the chinese are sort of seeking to effect um and as you build more infrastructure in other parts of the world africa other parts of asia you also embed yourself in those countries not just as a uh hegemon but also as a partner um so when you know the us says that we want to compete so john bolton a couple of months ago gave a speech talking about competing with china in africa deeply flawed approach you don't need to compete with china you need to create space for yourself in africa and that will compete with china so i think this notion of therefore we need to compete compete is problematic i think what we need to do is play to our strengths um and therefore i feel that it's not a bad idea to actually be you know at these forums you might not do anything with it you don't need to sign a document also but be at the forum and express your uh, objections i still don't agree with you on <laughs> india being at the forum but i agree that bri is here to stay and it goes a long way because in smaller countries such as laos or uh, tajikistan the small construction of small infrastructure law goes a long way in re- building a reputation for china yeah. and it a also, small bridge it also goes a long way in creating economic development in right. those countries you right. know uh, once you build these roads that are connecting uh, and these railways mm-hmm. uh, over the next few years i mean that's a chinese model you build infrastructure and goods will start to flow not today 5 years from now can you sustain the cost of that is what the issue is that's how chinese have grown that you build infrastructure and people will travel it but looking at the quality of infrastructure can it sustain itself mm-hmm. because quality is under question under bri see i don't it? think i don't necessarily think that there is a massive quality issue uh, i can't think of a single example where chinese built roads have crumbled mm-hmm. or chinese railways have not functioned um china has there has been massive infrastructure development within china i don't see where uh, there has been serious quality issues more so than anywhere else in the world i can't think of a single example of that nature um i think the argument of uh, chinese made means poor quality uh, has run its sell by date there was a case to be made for that some time ago but today i mean forget infrastructure on digital equipment they're world class they're competing with the best of the best um are they innovating and creating new designs or are they imitating certain there is a certain level of imitation of course but there's also competition uh, they're also leading in certain areas so i think it's not that easy a giveaway um, that is not to say that uh, everything that they are building is great but it's also not the case that uh, everything that cheap quality is the, you know the chinese made is cheap quality i don't think that is a linkage I think where the Chinese make a mistake is when they make BRI about everything. So I'm just going to read something from the actual document that was put out a few days ago. Um, this is just the index in their sort of contents, and they talk about BRI's prospects going forward. It is a road of peace. It is a road of prosperity, of opening up, of green development, of innovation, of connected civilizations, and of green clean government. You have put together security, environmental uh, issues. technology and innovation 
सोशल हार्मनी एंटी करप्शन एवरीथिंग अंडर द सो चाइना इज सॉल्विंग द वर्ल्ड्स प्रॉब्लम्स फॉर अस एंड दैट इज वेयर आई थिंक दे एक्स देयर फुट because think of the do, geopolitical impact which is going to create after uh, and a message that it gives geopolitical message to the opposing the countries you, and this is something that i even told them uh, when i visited uh, that forum was that when you make it everything it is actually nothing mm. um and it dilutes the purpose of it so when i read this document uh, a couple of days ago when it was put out by the official website my reaction was I'm guessing that they are not going to get the transparency that was promised in these Bloomberg and Art and Reuters reports, um, because if this is how you're going to look at the world, if this is simple propaganda, it's fine. You can sort of chew it and spit it out. But if it is not, and if this is how they are going to approach things, and if this is actually reflection of the thinking of the leadership, then it is deeply problematic because you are setting yourself up for all your argument of it not being a zero sum game. You are setting yourself up for a zero sum game. um and too bad for them um i think it's a foolish thing to do but while we are discussing zero sum game over here italy has already come into the yeah, picture yeah and that's that's yeah. exactly why i say that i think that uh, why would a country not want to be partners you know india is a different case because we have a different issue with bri but say for a european country particularly a country like italy which is cash trapped the economy is in doldrums somebody is coming bearing dollars okay i'll take it I'll, you I'll, want you want the legitimacy of me signing on this vague MOU which endorses your BRI so that you feel that you've got one G7 country in your pocket okay it's not that i'm going to fundamentally alter at least not going to break away from the european union and join some china BRI union now i'll give you an interesting fact italy's government debt is 130% right now and i hoping through this BRI project they will find some infrastructure projects in Uh, china would fund some exactly the idea is that if if you're going, if you're willing to spend some money here okay spend it create the employment that we need so the devil in those things is in the details right okay if you're going to build this infrastructure who's going to come and build it mm-hmm. who which are the companies who are the workers are the jobs being created in italy or are these chinese companies um how is this project going to pay for itself going forward so those details are important but if somebody is going to come and tell me that i want to build this stuff in your you know country and you need to endorse me politically here so that i feel comfortable i can see an argument where if i am in a position of italy where you know financially i am in bad shape for a long time now since the 2008 crisis okay if you are giving me free money i'll take it i mean for all the argument that the french were making uh, for all the arguments under emmanuel macron when xi jinping visited italy and france last year uh, in march um he signed at least four times more money deals with the french on on airbus uh, than with italy um, but again history is there to uh, view the right we have spain italy netherlands belgium and greece who some of the developments of china though not under bri per se but they have partially acquired some ports and some they have acquired stakes in some ports these are these are his, these are incidents of history which are there for acquiring stakes in ports does not become uh, See the issue with the Chinese is reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Is the amount of access that you have to some other country's assets, do you provide the same reciprocity within your own country? And that is a legitimate issue that every other country in the world should and must have with the Chinese. The access to Chinese markets and the way China's market is structured. And I think in that case is what the Americans are doing is essentially under Trump they've adopted a far more confrontational approach in Europe the approach has been slightly different but it's basically the same argument, reciprocity. um and that's a legitimate argument to make but i don't think the chinese acquiring a certain percentage of 
port rights, a Chinese company acquiring a certain percentage of port right gives it a strategic advantage uh, in terms of militarily or any of those regions. It expands your relationship with them. It expands your scope of engagement with them. Most countries which are now concerned about it in Europe particularly are therefore now looking at new foreign investment screening rules. So some of this stuff is actually going to go away because they have this deep concern. The concern has been that as China becomes more deeply embedded in the economies of these countries, it sways them politically and the European Union takes decisions unanimously and therefore it can't. So it can't criticize China on Xinjiang because Hungary says so. Uh, and now maybe Italy would say so. And that's a legitimate political concern. And I think as that happens, you will see a backlash. And as that, as that backlash happens, you will see the Chinese realizing that we're being cornered and we need to find newer ways to deal with this. So that's like a cat and mouse game which is going to continue. So uh, can we put it this way that if alteration in the domestic market policies of China would go a long way in helping BRI with you. Significantly. Europe. Significantly. I think if the Chinese were to sort of liberalize quote-unquote and make it easier for foreign companies to operate, set up, acquire, uh, get financing and so on and so forth, it would change the dynamics of how... But then that is again a problem with China is because mm. it's fundamentally state-run. So that would require massive changes also within their own internal structure. So it's not an easy thing for them to do because again... This is about survival, existential uh, anxiety that the Communist Party has. Um, so there are difficult questions for them to answer. Um, and therefore, a lot of what you will see in BRI is to, uh, in countries which are where these challenges don't exist. Africa, Latin America, parts of Asia, where there is a desire for some of this stuff without these challenges. So if you assess BRI, it's partly also about shifting China's orientation from exports to the West and investment growth to these other countries where you can grow. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Manoj and Suresh. Uh, do keep listening to All Things Policy. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We'd love to hear what you think about this chat. Check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila Inst on our Quora space, All Things Policy. For the latest analysis and research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, visit our website at takshashila.org.in. And tune in for our next episode.